are incredibly inefficient. We read in Psalm 33 verse 6, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and the stars were created. So why would a God so effortlessly powerful possibly want our help with this? When we're tidying up at the end of Tower Tots here, our baby and toddler group, all the parents and carers, they want their kids to get involved. They want their kids to help out. And it is never helpful when a toddler helps. It takes so much longer. I could do it so much faster if I wasn't staring at a two-year-old, painstakingly placing balls in a bag, one by one, constantly getting distracted, wandering off, or worse, taking them out again and starting the job from scratch. So why do we do it? Why do we let them help if it's so frustrating? We do it because it's not for us. It's for them. It teaches them and it helps them grow and learn in confidence in their abilities. We show toddlers how to do things. It would be so much easier for us to do ourselves because it helps them grow into the people they're supposed to be, grow into the people they're called to be, and grow in their abilities. And in many ways, God's mission is like tidy up time at Tower Tots. He doesn't need us, and he could do it so much faster without us. And I'm sure that he's not, but I can imagine him up there giving me the simplest of tasks and then watching in frustration as I set about in the slowest way, the least efficient way, eventually getting distracted and wandering off altogether, if not making a bigger mess in the meantime. God calls us to be a part of his mission, not because it's good for him, but because it's good for us. He wants us to grow into the people that he's called us to be. He's teaching us, and with each role he asks of us, we have an opportunity to grow in confidence. And we're not starting anything new. We are simply responding to and joining in with what God has been doing since the very beginning. And that is a really exciting prospect. We are continuing a ministry that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And we are continuing a legacy that God started at the beginning of time. And that is an incredibly exciting prospect. We, the bumbling toddlers that we are, we get to be a part of that eternal and ongoing story. This morning, we're going to look at John the Baptist, a man that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. And we're going to start by reading together a passage from Mark. It's Mark 1, verse 1 to 8. It says, In the beginning, the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with holy water. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm an ordinand here, which means I'm currently training to become ordained as an Anglican priest. And I can't walk down Oxford Street without somebody telling me that I'm going to hell. 
So maybe you hear this passage about a lone voice in the wilderness calling out about repentance. And maybe you find that really inspiring. And maybe you think of the angry voice that shouts at you on the tube. But Mark's gospel opens with this quote taken from the prophet Isaiah that says, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Now, John would have almost certainly known these verses. It's likely he would have grown up studying the scriptures. And I have it on good authority from Mark Bishop that Isaiah was one of the most famous scrolls that they probably would have all had. So maybe as he was going out into the wilderness, he was thinking about these verses and he was thinking, this is, this is me. I think Mark included them because he wanted us to see the links between the two people. And maybe Isaiah was out in the wilderness calling out, thinking, Isaiah was talking about me. I am that voice calling out. I am preparing people for, for Jesus. I'm preparing people for the one who will come. And we might read that and be tempted to think, well, yeah, tick. It's fulfilled. It's done. But today I want to say that John is a fulfillment of it. But actually in God's mission and the need for people to prepare the way for Jesus is an ongoing thing. And it's certainly not finished. We are all called to join in with that, to be that voice calling out in the wilderness around us. And now in East London, that's unlikely to look like a desert. But we are all surrounded by areas of wilderness, whether that's spiritually, mentally, physically. We are all surrounded by areas of need. A friend of mine once said there was a sign he'd read as he left the car park at his church that said, you are now entering your mission field. Because God's mission is all around us. If you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember the words of Isaiah, that prophecy, and think maybe Isaiah was talking about me. What if I'm the one that's supposed to prepare the way for Jesus in somebody's life? I want people to meet Jesus, and I want them to know him how I know him, to love him and be loved by him as I am. And joining in with God's mission means I can't just sit back and hope that that will happen to them one day. So how do we prepare people to meet Jesus? We show them kindness because we know that he will. And we show them love and grace and mercy because we know that he will show them those things. We model to them the character of Christ so clearly that people cannot wait to meet him. This passage in Mark says, The whole Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem went out to meet him. They went out to meet John. People are so enthralled by him. Imagine the longing in the crowd when he says, There's somebody better coming. Don't look at me. Look to the person I'm pointing to. The excitement is they realize that what they're seeing of here, this is just a glimpse of what they're going to see later. I often think as I see people milling around um, in the courtyard at the start of the service, chatting away over hot drinks and catching up on their weeks, I wonder what the people who walk through the car park think. The people who aren't part of this church just happen to wander through. I wonder what they see when they look at that. London is a city that's so known for being lonely and for being a place where it's difficult to put down roots. And I don't see that here. Here I see an amazing and bustling community. When people walk through, I think they're getting a glimpse of an amazing community they could be a part of. And I really wish that for them. And I really wish they could come be in that. Because when they do, they'll see that is just a glimpse of what is to come. Here, this community here is a glimpse of what we're going to experience one day. And that is incredible. How we live speaks volumes. We are called to model the character of Christ and prepare the way for him. Somebody I used to work with when I waitressed said, I think you're always happy, Abby, because you're a Christian. And don't we want people to think that of us? To look at our lives and think, you're different because you're a Christian and I want that. I want what they have. But having said that, there have been times in my life 
when I ask myself, if I'm the only Christian this person ever meets, how have I represented Jesus to them? How have I prepared them to meet Jesus? And sometimes the answer is awfully. Sometimes I think this person will never want to know Jesus based upon who I've shown him to be. And that is not a light thing. And it's something that I've held a lot of guilt and shame for in the past. And maybe some of you can relate to those moments as well. But I'm humbled when I remember that I did not start God's mission in that person. I was not God's mission for them. God's mission in their lives was going on long before I met them, long before I messed up my chance to be a part of it. I've missed out on an opportunity to join in with that, the incredible work that he's doing in their lives. I had a chance to be a part of it, and I didn't take it up. But here is the comforting thing. I can't mess up God's mission. None of us here can mess up God's mission. It's been going on long before we were born, and it will continue until he comes again. We cannot mess up God's mission, but we can mess up our, our chance to grow from it, our chance to learn from it. Even on the least compliant tidy-up time, the toys get put away at the end of Tower Tots. Whether or not the kids have learned anything from it or they've grown from it, that, that's up to them. But it's still happening. They cannot stop our mission. There are incredible and powerful things going on that we're not aware of yet. And we, na- we may never will be if we don't take up the invitation to be a part, part of it. Years ago, I prayed for my friend, and I had a picture of a sunflower and some, some prophetic words, and I just mentioned that to her and said, oh, I feel like God is saying this to you. And it turned out the same words have been spoken over her all through her life, and from different people, different states of her life. And she now has a, ta- has a tattoo on her ankle of a sunflower because she said, God really wanted me to know this. I didn't start anything new in her. I just got to be a part of that, got to be a part of that journey. How we live speaks volumes. But John did more than just live a good godly life. It says he preached repentance and forgiveness to all people. So what does it mean to preach? John didn't get a microphone or fancy lighting that Matt Venville has beautifully arranged. He didn't get handy slides with scriptures on. And his congregation probably didn't even get chairs. But preaching doesn't have to look like this. And maybe the word preaching even brings up some uncomfortable and negative connotations for you. In anything other than a church context, if somebody preaches at you, it usually means you've done something wrong or you're about to do something wrong and you're getting told off for it. But to preach just means to teach or to earnestly advocate for something or for someone. Gareth spoke last week about how we are called to be a people who are excited about sharing God's story, not just living good lives, but telling his story and teaching and earnestly advocating for him. John preaches repentance and forgiveness. And the second half of that, we love talking about. We love talking about forgiveness. (laughs) But it can be a bit more tricky when we want to talk about repentance. We want to show people kindness, but sometimes the kindest thing to do is to tell them something they don't want to hear. And we want to show people love, but sometimes the most loving thing to do is to point out the areas of their lives in which they are being caused harm at their own hand. And we are called to do this not because we are perfect people who get it right all the time and not because we are called to act as his judges here on earth. But we do this because we are collectively trying to get back to the people that God called us to be. And sometimes we all need a reminder of when we've slipped. I'm friends with a girl from a church I went to years ago and I'm I'm sharing this story with her permission. I spoke to her about it this week just to make sure that she was happy with me sharing this. Um, But me and her were super close friends. And there was a really horrible and nasty rumor going around the church about her. 
um, saying that she had done something that, that she hadn't done. And I absolutely do not condone the people that were gossiping about her at all. Um, and I knew it wasn't true. I knew it was hurting her. Um, but yeah, I also I knew 100% this was not a true rumor about her. But one day, me and her, we were chatting about the injustice of it and how sad it was and how much it was hurting her. And out of a place of deep friendship and love, I asked her to consider why it was that people believed that about her. Because I knew that the rumor wasn't true, but I also knew that it was believable. I knew that there was a reason that people believed that she would do the things that she was being accused of. I knew that it wasn't true, but I knew that it was believable. And it was a really uncomfortable conversation. And as her friend, it would have been so much easier for me just to say, I'm really sorry this is happening to you, this is really unfair, which it was, it was really unfair, and just, just comfort her. But actually, there was something in it that she needed to hear. All of us have areas in our lives in which we have slipped away from what God calls us to be. And sometimes those things cause us harm. And sometimes it's easier to blame other people and blame the circumstances around us than it is to look into ourselves and question why it is that these things are happening to us. I knew that she was innocent of that thing. I knew that she hadn't done it. But we are all guilty sometimes. And sometimes we all need to be reminded of that. It's really uncomfortable when... When Michael points out the areas in my life that don't quite align or that need adjusting. But given that he's not in the room to tell you otherwise, I take it very well. <laughs> and, I, and I'm very receptive to change. <laughs> I know that Michael wants the best for me. And if he tells me something is getting in the way of that, I know he's saying it because he genuinely loves me. He wants, when we approach repentance and forgiveness, it's not something we take lightly because we can't. We talk about repentance not out of a place of judgment, but of a place of an appreciation of forgiveness. Understanding the freedom that each of us have been granted in forgiveness and giving others the opportunity to share in it. We can't take lightly how much God loves us. God loves each and every one of us. And if you try and approach repentance without a solid foundation of love, then we will never be able to convince anyone of the debt that was paid for our forgiveness. I want to invite the band back up now. As I was preparing this message, um, I, I got an image in my head of uh, the lifts at my university. In my, my university library, we had lifts called a, a Paternoster. Has anyone heard of a Paternoster lift? Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Um, <clears throat> most lifts, you press a button, you wait for it to come to you, the doors open, you step in, and then you tell it where you want to go, and it goes up and stops at your desired floor, and you get out. A Paternaster lift is an open shaft with continually moving platforms that you just have to step onto at the right time. And then when it gets to your floor, step off again at the right time. Absolutely terrifying. Um, I remember being a fresher and walking into the library and seeing it and just kind of being frozen and staring at this terrifying looking platform and waiting for ages and then eventually just giving up and going, getting, getting the stairs instead. But I think, thinking about this this week, God's mission is a lot like those lifts. And actually, in looking up how to spell Paternoster, do you know where the word Paternoster comes from? Those that know what it is. Paternoster is Latin for our father. The lifts were named after the Lord's Prayer. The continuing prayer of people saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because I think that those lifts are like God's mission in that it's not going to stop for us. We have to step on and be brave and let it see where it takes us. It won't stop for us 
and it's not waiting for us. It's just there, ready for us to get involved, ready for us to get on board. We are invited to be a part of this mission that can't be stopped. This mission where we are those people who prepare the way for Jesus in the lives of others, preaching repentance and forgiveness into the wilderness around us because we have, invite, we have accepted the best invitation that we ever could have imagined. So we're going to sing again now. And um, if you would like prayer for anything you've heard this morning or anything that you haven't heard this morning, just anything, if there's something on your heart that you would like to pr- somebody else to pray with you for, we're going to be um, doing some prayer ministry over here and we would love for you to come. Uh, please don't leave this morning thinking, oh, I really wish that I had stepped forward. I really wish that... Um, yeah, that I've been prayed for for this thing. On my left, your right, we're going to have some people over here praying as we sing. And I want us to think as we sing about how are we preparing the people in our lives to meet Jesus? How are we modeling Jesus in a way in which people are excited to meet him? Will people look at us and think, I can't wait to meet the person they're pointing to? When Isaiah said, somebody will prepare a way for Jesus in the lives of others, was he talking about you? Was he talking about us? I want you to really grasp the truth of how much God loves and has forgiven you. Because if we haven't, I want us to lean into that this morning with all of our might. Because only from that place will we ever be able to fully invite others to join into the same. Preaching and teaching and advocating for God from a place in which we understand the debt that was paid for our forgiveness. Sometimes it can feel like sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus, or trying to represent him well in this world is just too much pressure. The responsibility is too large. It is literally life and death. It's such a big responsibility to be his witness here on earth. But as we sing now, I want you to literally shake off any sense of burden, any sense of fear or nervousness. I want to encourage us that we can't mess up God's mission. If you're sitting here nervous about getting involved because you might say or do the wrong thing, we read in Romans 8:28 that God makes everything work together for good. So I want to pray that any weight of pressure is taken off your shoulders, taken off your heart. We cannot mess up God's mission. We can only respond to his call and join in. And it is such a joy and a privilege to be a part of it. So if you'd like to stand, Lord, inspire us and speak to us as we sing to you now. Amen. Amen.